Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glutton. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. Today, we're talking to Dr. Will Cole. Dr. Cole is a leading functional medicine expert who consults people around the world. He specializes in clinically investigating the underlying factors in chronic disease and then customizing health programs. He's the author of Ketotarian and his newest book, The Inflammation Spectrum. You can find Dr. Cole at drwillcole.com. He's also on Instagram at drwillcole. His book, Ketotarian, and his new book, The Inflammation Spectrum, are available on amazon.com. Dr. Cole. Yeah. Thank you so much for agreeing to have this conversation with me. I'm a big fan of yours, and I'm really excited to talk to you. Yeah, I'm excited to be on the show. Thanks for having me. So I have lost a lot of weight, and truly the way that I found that was the easiest to not think, just to exist as a human being who's allowed to eat food, has been keto. Mm -hmm. I have run into a few things currently where I am thinking about all kinds of things and really getting into like the macros and calories and stuff, but I don't foresee that being a way that I can live forever. But I have found that for years I was able to do keto. And now I was able to do a very unhealthy version of keto, a very healthy version of keto, a weight loss keto. And I found a lot of success with that, but I had questions for you and I would love to go not specifically about keto, but talk to you about inflammation first, because in Los Angeles, inflammation became a real hot button topic a couple of years ago. And I'm just not totally sure I fully understand inflammation. Yeah. So uh, inflammation is a product of our immune system. So inherently, inflammation isn't a bad thing. It's actually quite important when it's balanced. So it fights viruses, it fights bacteria, it heals our body, it's important on a cellular level. It's a good thing. The problem is when inflammation is thrown out of balance. That's when problems arise. 
So when people are saying inflammation, typically they're referring to chronic inflammation, which is that inflammation out of balance. And that chronic insidious inflammation, that's commonality between just about every health problem under the sun. I mean, when you're dealing things with things like diabetes or heart disease, cancer, all of those are chronic inflammatory problems. Autoimmune conditions, which is most of my patients, they are all dealing with chronic inflammatory problems. Digestive problems, musculoskeletal issues, and to even the mental health space. I mean, there's a whole field of research in the scientific literature referred to as the cytokine model of cognitive function. And cytokines are pro-inflammatory cells. So it's looking at how inflammation is impacting how people's brains work. It's looking at how inflammation impacts mental health. And, you know, in the West, we like to separate mental health from physical health, but mental health is physical health. Our brain is part of our body and there's physiological mechanisms and inflammation is one major component of that for a lot of people struggling with mental health issues. So these are all the sort of far-reaching implications of chronic inflammation and something that I explore as a deep dive in the inflammation spectrum in my book because it's something that I see sadly on an almost hourly basis and and inflammation exists on a spectrum. From mild symptoms on one end of the spectrum, like you know, mild fatigue, background anxiety, maybe some bloating, maybe some like muscle soreness or joint stiffness on one end, and then the other end of the inflammation spectrum is like the full-blown autoimmune disease or diabetes or mental health issue, and then everything in between. So this is the inflammation spectrum. It is something that uh, is impacting, sadly, the majority of the human race and the other side of that coin is, well, yes, these numbers are growing. I think 50 million Americans have an autoimmune disease. It's estimated that 50% of the United States is insulin resistant, diabetes, something like that, or prediabetes, metabolic syndrome. Yes, these numbers are growing. Yes, it's really sad and messed up. But the other side of the coin is that we understand these health problems now more than ever, and there's so much we can do. So while it's sobering to go over the statistics, the other side of it is that, look, these are things that are largely overcomable and supportable and healable and reversible through health, through wellness, through functional medicine, through lifestyle changes. And that's what I really wanted to disseminate in the inflammation spectrum, because these are things that I see people overcome all the time. So this is not something that should just be left to you know, research and the wealthy and the 1%, but really to the masses, people need to start having agency over their wellness, but people can't have agency over their wellness if they don't know what the heck they're up against. So that's really um, my heart on the second book. Well, I also know that if we just think about it in simplistic terms too, it's not really a diet that requires a whole lot of wealth to participate in. Really, it's pretty simple. But I do have friends that would start doing, basically, they would say, I'm doing keto, and you just then find out that they're eating primarily salami and processed cheese, and (laughs) which I think probably could also be a contributing factor to some inflammation. But I'm not a doctor, so I don't know if nitrates and, you know, hidden salts or sodium or whatever the hell they put in processed salami, you know, it's not hanging in some grandmother's garage in Italy. This is something bought at a 7-Eleven, you know what I mean? And I just don't think that is necessarily a healthy route. Then when I saw that you do ketotarian, which seems like the Na Plus Ultra version of healthy keto, it's really mm-hmm. interesting. Thanks. Yeah. I mean, Ketotarian was really born out of my own personal health journey. And I mean, I co-hosted Keto Talk, the podcast for over two years, and we'll be coming back soon. But 
basically, yeah, I saw I've heard every single question you can think of under the sun on keto and how to do it. And I saw all the potential pitfalls of that. And I wanted the keto community to know how to go keto the clean way, in my opinion. Same with the plant-based world. I mean, they're mostly carbitarians and they're depending on lots of sugar and starches and grains for fuel. So look, they both have advantages. They both have scientific literature data to back up certain aspects of it. But just because something's better than the standard American diet doesn't necessarily mean it's optimal. So let's sort of get the good of both sides. Let's look and leverage the benefits of both sides of way of eating and amalgamate them together to really um, to harness, I feel, one of the most optimal nutrient-dense clean ways to eat, which is the ketocarian diet. It's a mostly plant-based ketogenic diet. And in the book, like for anybody that reads it, they're going to know the reason why the cover says mostly plant-based. It's not entirely vegan keto, even though most of the recipes are de facto vegan keto, but they're not all vegan keto. So we bring in vegetarian keto options, pescatarian keto options, all like clean, fresh, whole foods. And I don't advocate for everybody to be in ketosis all the time if it doesn't suit you or if it's not relevant for you. So we talk about cyclical ketotarian, we talk about seasonal ketotarian. So this, this is a, a nuanced perspective that I have on the topic of ketosis. And that's really the heart of functional medicine. It's bio-individuality. What works for one person may not be relevant for the next person. So I wanted to teach in ketotarian these ketogenic principles in a clean way. But then let's talk about other ways you can use this tool of ketosis and metabolic flexibility. And with this tribalism that happens in any health fad, it's our way or the highway, and it's very dogmatic, not good for the layperson because it's very overwhelming and stressful to know what the heck you should do. And the truth is typically somewhere in the middle, and it's bio-individuality. It's finding out what works for your body. Uh, and that's definitely why I wrote Ketotarian. I really love that perspective, and, and I couldn't agree more. I, I do think it is ultimately, you know, anytime you hear this is the best or the only way to do something, it kind of shuts the door to a lot. And then if you don't have success with it, you just think, well, I can't do anything because I didn't have success with the best or the only one. So yeah. I, I actually think it's a big disservice to people to think about any diet as this is the only way to lose weight or the best way to lose weight. But I personally have found that it is certainly the easiest way for me to either maintain my weight or not gain a massive amount of weight to feel good and to lose weight without, you know, constantly weighing food or, or thinking about macros and the other things that come into other types of diets. Yeah, well said. I think there's so much room for bioindividuality when you're talking about food medicine or any other lifestyle change. And that's, you know, really the exploration that I have in the inflammation spectrum, which is the follow-up to ketotarian, because I actually talked about the concept of the inflammation spectrum in ketotarian because beta-hydroxybutyrate, the ketone, is not only a way to burn fat and get fat for fuel for your brain, but it's an epigenetic modulator. It's a signaling molecule to do really cool things for our body, like lowering inflammation and increasing autophagy and improving mitochondrial biogenesis and all this cool stuff that the science is kind of pointing to. But there's so much more than just ketosis when it comes to lowering inflammation. You know, I, there's a lot of other ways to lower inflammation. There's a lot of other ways to fuel our body. And, you know, the inflammation spectrum isn't about one way of eating. It's about finding out what your body loves, what your body hates, so you can find food peace and not be 
you know, stuck on one way because under the umbrella of keto, like you mentioned, maybe someone's having dairy sensitivities and then they're having tons of bacon and butter all day long and cream because they're told they can have copious amounts of it on the ketogenic diet, but maybe it's not working for them. So then they throw out the ketogenic diet as not working for them because they did it in a way that didn't work for their body. So I'm saying, okay, look, no matter how you want to eat or you prefer to eat, whether that's keto or low carb or Mediterranean or paleo or more plant-based, let's find the best way to do that way of eating. There are going to be foods under that umbrella of whatever way you prefer to eat that may or may not work for you. So I wanted the exploration in the inflammation spectrum to be an individual experiment for people to find out what their body loves. And that's, again, the heart of functional medicine. It's what works for the individual. And we're all different. And even healthy, good things may not be right for everybody. So I love that you see that as well. But can I ask just for some kind of a synopsis, because I have never done really ketotarian. I've not done that. I have done a very unhealthy version of keto and I have done a, a what I consider to be a very healthy version of keto where it was more focused on like omega-3s. That was something I was like, I want my fat source to be as clean as possible versus stuff like bacon and cheese. But what would a meal look like? Because in my mind, being a meat eater and currently very lean meat, but I can't picture what does a vegan keto meal look like? Sure. So um, again, ketotarian has three tracks. So there's vegan keto, vegetarian keto, and pescatarian keto. But the vegan keto, to start with that, because that is the foundation of any ketotarian plate. It would be things like avocados, olives, avocado oil, extra virgin olive oil, a lot of data in the scientific literature pointing to these superfoods as really improved biomarkers, longevity, heart health, brain health, lowered inflammation, et cetera. And coconut, coconut cream, coconut oil, coconut milk, other nut milks. Those would all be vegan keto healthy fats. And then any non-starchy vegetable you'd want to try and sulfur-rich vegetables because we talk about methylation and detoxification pathways in the body, onions and garlic and asparagus and Brussels sprouts. And those would be sort of all the vegan keto foods. From a protein standpoint, obviously you're getting some in the nuts and seeds, but if someone's strictly vegan keto in ketotarian land, I, I allow for organic non-GMO fermented soy like tempeh and natto, which is going to be high protein, healthier fats, and low carb. Right. Because you need the essential amino acids. You have to get it from food. So we talk about that in the book because you're not going to get ample amounts of bioavailable essential amino acids if any old vegan food. So I, we're being strategically smart to get these uh, uh, nutrient-dense foods. And spirulina and, and such an inchy and uh, like nutritional yeast, those provide essential amino acids too. So that's going to be all the vegan keto foods. And then the vegetarian keto foods brings in things like organic pasture-raised eggs and clarified butter or ghee, plus all the vegan keto options. And then the pescatarian keto options in the book, which I call vegetarian in the book, but wild-caught fish, fresh seafood, nuts, bringing in things like salmon and the Chilean sea bass and sardines and all these really healthy fats from fish, fresh seafood, and then all the vegetarian and vegan keto options. So I was aware that some people reading ketotarian would still want to be strictly vegan. They may have ethical reasons or preference reasons. I wanted to teach them the best way, in my opinion, to go vegan keto. Right. But I was also having the conversation in the book to say, hey, look, there's going to be a bioavailability problem and you. 
Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ready to start talking to your kids about financial literacy? Meet Greenlight, the debit card and money app that teaches kids and teens how to earn, save, spend wisely, and invest with your guardrails in place. Parents can send instant money transfers, automate allowance, and more. Plus, keep an eye on spending with real-time notifications. Join more than 6 million parents and kids building healthy financial habits together on Greenlight. Get your first month free at greenlight.com slash ACAST. That's greenlight.com slash ACAST. may want to consider bringing in these foods like eggs and ghee and wild-caught fish. You can still be predominantly plant-centric if that's your preference, but let's talk about the just simple clinical nutrition aspects of bioavailability of nutrients and fat-soluble vitamins, B vitamins, et cetera, and iron that I saw the potential pitfalls of a strictly plant-based diet. I have a conversation on both sides of the tribalism wars and saying like, look, if you want to be strictly vegan keto, let's teach you how to do it. But Let's open the conversation, if you're willing, to bring in some of these other foods from a nutrition standpoint. I'm also interested in history, and I could just go back through history and can't find any civilization that was ever vegan. Plenty of vegetarian civilizations that you can look at, but then you always find something where they go like, well, we just need a little bit of egg or a little bit of dairy, you know, and that's them not having all the science available. That was just how they kind of evolved realizing these things. So I think that's very smart, but also in modern civilization where we can do so much, it sounds like it is possible to be vegan and keto. Yeah, it is because we have access to foods that traditionally wouldn't have been accessible. And, you know, if you're looking at the context of from an ancestral health perspective, we have access to foods that are providing nutrition that you need. And there's supplementation too. You know, historically, humans wouldn't have access to that. So definitely it is more available than it's ever been before, where in modern times, it is something that people can do. And, you know, but the question that I have in the book, if you need supplementation to fill in the gaps of your diet, is it optimal for you? And yes, you can supplement with it. I'm not saying it's, it's something you can't do. But I encourage the reader to be open to these other superfoods that aren't plant-based from a nutrition standpoint. Because those foods you mentioned are kind of just bombs of nutrients. If I think about this in moral terms, I would assume these don't happen to be my morals, but I can posit them onto somebody and think if it's a moral issue, these foods are as close to moral as you could get, maybe? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm not against grass-fed beef either. Uh, and I say that in the book. Like if someone wants to, I, I encourage people to go eight weeks ketotarian, mostly plant-based keto, ex- explore it. 
and you can do any track you want to. And then after that, bring in some grass-fed beef, have that. That's not a, that's not a big deal. It should be a part of the diet. See, that's something that you want. But I really made it a clear cut on this in, in the book for the ketogenic community and kind of show them a different spin on the ketogenic diet because they didn't think it was possible. They thought they had to just eat bacon and butter and vegetables right. were the enemy because of the fiber that would potentially throw them out of ketosis and they were afraid of vegetables because of their carb content. I wanted to show them, hey, look, this is not something that should be feared. You can do this. You can still be in ketosis. You can still gain metabolic flexibility and you will eating this way, which as I think is a more sustainable long-term lifestyle approach to the ketogenic diet instead of it being this sort of flash in the pan like fad diet that many people go in with good intentions but once that keto honeymoon passes they don't know where to go and they're stuck at a plateau or maybe they're not seeing the benefits they once were at the beginning or maybe they never saw the benefits because they weren't doing it the proper way and i i really feel this kind of takes them from that fad diet into this sustainable lifestyle which as a functional medicine practitioner my day job is not writing books. It's consulting patients about this stuff. So it's really, I wanted to make this not just a diet, but really a lifestyle. I always consumed a lot of vegetables, you know, sands, corn. I would even cut out carrots, beets, potatoes, but pretty much everything else was on the menu. But I definitely had to adjust my diet multiple times over the years because I would hit a plateau or something. But I could also be, you know, a hamster on a mouse wheel where I would just eat the same thing constantly. So I could have been just running into nutrient deficiencies also because of that. That's possible. I, I don't know for sure. But let me ask you this. There's also a bit of a movement right now in Los Angeles where certain, and I actually say many, if not all vegetables are considered bad. Like there's a big thing right now, you know, the carnivore diet is happening, but also prior to the carnivore diet or me being aware of that was this idea that we couldn't digest lectins, which are in most everything. Yeah. Yeah. You're right. It's, it's definitely the pendulum swings and I've been in the health space for a long time and I grew up in the health space in the 80s and 90s. I've seen a lot of things come and go. I mean, but the, when the light shines on something and it has its moment, it has its zeitgeist, and then the sun passes and it's fine. If there's solid science behind it, the truth will still remain and it'll still impact people's lives and be positive with all that stuff. And you see that come and going with keto and paleo before that and all this stuff. Anyway, so carnivore is having its little moment in the sun right now, which it's really born out of the rise of autoimmunity. It's born out of the rise of inflammatory problems. It's born out of the rise of intestinal permeability or leaky gut syndrome, where people are having these hyper reactions, these inflammatory flares from plant foods. So it's not Really, the plant food's fault. It's the gut problems, and it's causing an overreaction to these foods. So if you're talking about vegetables, and specifically ones that are prepared properly, like they're cooked, and I recommend people cooking vegetables in general to make them more bioavailable, to make them more digestible, easier on the system, because people's guts aren't as healthy as they once were because of the amount of toxins and soil depletion and just a lack of nutrient density in people's diets. Their body isn't able to repair as well as it once was. And the amount of sugar and grains, genetically modified foods that are impacting gut health as well. So yeah, I think the vegetables got caught in that crossfire. It's not the vegetables fault though. We have to just to make it a little bit more digestible in the body. And look, I explore these different gene snips that some people have 
that make them more sensitive to things like lectins and phytic acid and proteins in different plant foods. There's different methylation gene SNPs. There's the endocannabinoid gene, which the gut is actually rich with these CB1 receptors for the endocannabinoid system, the ECF. But yes, some people genetically are more predisposed, more likely to have these reactions to things like lectins you know, these food sensitivities and autoimmunity and inflammation, but that's not everybody. So going back to that principle of bioindividuality, what works for your body? There's people that do fine with beans and, you know, rice and plant foods, vegetables. They're going to do fine with that. And nightshades, they're going to do fine with those. But then some people cause reactions. So these are the bioindividual, what works for you questions that I explore in the inflammation system. Because if I hung my hat on one diet rule and one way of eating for everybody, I'd be proven wrong all day long consulting patients. So you have to keep it up in mind. You have to look at labs. You have to look at health history. You have to look at what works in their life and use real life as a metric of what works for them and what doesn't. But you know, the carnivore diet, specifically a um, nutrient-dense, well-formulated one, is one that we use in functional medicine when you have people that have overreactive, flared inflammatory problems. Sometimes you need to use that, but that's not the diet that you do for the rest of your life. That's something that you use for a time as a tool, but then you segue in like cooked, sauteed, like pureed vegetables and bone broth soups and stews, and you segue out of that. So it's um, it's it's definitely a tool, but it's not... You use it right. as to repair. Exactly. Allow your right. body time to repair. As far as the individuality goes, and like the idea of carnivore is removing everything but meat. So we then go on the assumption that people don't have meat allergies because as far as I know, that's incredibly rare to have a meat allergy other than if you get bit by some weird tick in the East Coast, yeah. I, I think you can get a meat allergy. But otherwise, yeah. there's not really such a thing as a meat allergy. Like you said, you encourage people to do ketotarian for a time period and then add some grass-fed beef. Do you look at something mm-hmm. like inflammation? And I would love to say that you also have a, a really great comprehensive inflammation test on your website, which I've done, which I found to be really informative. And people should go do that and look into it. But do you remove blocks of food and then have people do this repair where where that's removed and then add them back in slowly or take one thing and add it in slowly? Is that part of what you do too? Like for somebody who doesn't want to live on keto for the rest of their life. Yeah. So that's where the inflammation spectrum book comes into play. And you're right. The quiz on our website, it's also the quiz in the book. But the quiz is adapted from questions that I ask patients. I'm, I'm consulting patients online via webcam and we send them questionnaires and I'm talking to them at length about these things. And I wanted to adapt these clinical pearls, these signs and symptoms, these clues for the reader to say, hey, like what's going on in my body? Is this normal or is this just common? Those are two very different things. And it's illuminating for the reader. Uh, And when I'm hearing on social media, people are like, whoa, I thought that was normal, but it's just actually not. And I can do something about it. And we go through the seven main sections on the inflammation spectrum, which is the gut and the brain and the hormones, the blood sugar and the musculoskeletal and the detoxification and looking at autoimmunity and looking at polyinflammation, inflammation in more than one area. But you're right. The clinical gold standard in clinical nutrition and functional medicine is a well-formulated elimination diet when it comes to finding out what your body loves and hates. So we do that, but it's based on that quiz score at the beginning of the book or on the site. So people that scored lower on the quiz 
get a simpler track because I realized that, look, everybody, not everybody's going to want to do a more advanced intervention. Maybe they're dealing with a little bit of things and they just want to lean into this stuff. So at that point, they can do the, what I call the core four track, which is taking up that um, research shows to be the most problematic for people. So that's going to be going off of grains, going off of added sugar, high omega-6 oils like industrial seed oils, canola oil, vegetable oil, and going off of dairy. Going off of four foods for four weeks, the core four plan. And then people that scored higher on that quiz have the eliminate track, which is the core four plus four more. And that adds in nightshades like peppers, tomatoes, eggplants, white potatoes, goji berries, then nuts and seeds, legumes like beans, and eggs. So that's the eliminate track. You do those eight foods, remove those eight foods for eight weeks. And then we teach how to reintroduce them because it's not just about eliminating foods. It's about calming things down, recentering, modulating the immune system, chilling the body out for either four or eight weeks. But then reintroduction is actually just as important because you want to find out what your body loves and doesn't love to get that feedback to know what works for your body and what doesn't. Reintroduction is so important and many people forget that. And they're just doing the elimination part of it. And then they just get sick of it and fall off the wagon and bring it all back in. Right. And that's- you never have a point where you can figure out what it was that was causing the thing that you did the elimination for in the first place because you just get it back yeah. and you're eating everything. Again. Yeah. And they do a program and they're like, yeah, it worked for me, but yeah, I just saw it. And they don't have any data for themselves. But what I find is that people do a proper reintegration of food, then it transitions from being a diet or a program that they did to, no, whoa, I I like feeling better more than I miss that food. And when I have that food, it really sabotages my goals. And I just love feeling better more than I miss whatever food we're talking about. So that's that transition from being a diet to someone just doing life in alignment with but how to feel great. Yeah, but it's also uh, empowering to have that information. You, If you go into a meal knowing this meal is going to make me feel like shit and I'm choosing to eat it anyway, that's, I think, a better <laughs> position to be in than just wondering why you feel yeah. like shit all the time. Absolutely. Then you can make the executive decision to say, I choose to eat this and feel lousy and pay for it later, or I don't. You have discernment. You have clarity. You have that wisdom to know what's working for you and what's not. And that's the grace and the lightness that I want people to find this food. Because it is not fun to constantly be under the shackles of food shame, dieting dogma, food obsession, orthorexia that's going on in the world today with wellness to really just have the awareness of what works for your body. And that's that sustainable wellness. It's, the, it's really the secret to sustainable wellness is making that transition and knowing what works for your body. Then at that point, you can eat any way you want. You can choose to, to eat something to sabotage you or not, but you have that clarity on what works for you. That is a really interesting point too, because when I do a severely restrictive diet, I feel like shit all the time. Mm-hmm. When I am doing keto and I'm not thinking about calories, just more focusing on types of foods, I tend to feel pretty good, and and I never really understood why people would stick to something that made them feel terrible. 
I know. And many people are in that space and they don't even know it. They, they're in that space and don't know how to get out of it. So it's, it's a, definitely a problem. And it's the juxtaposition of our time. It's that we, ha- we have content on content and content. We have information at our fingertips. Dr. Google is this endless vortex of conflicting information. Right. But the other side of it is that people are so have this paralysis of analysis, like what the heck should I even do? And hopefully there's some elimination with, with the inflammation spectrum or ketotarian or any other good resource that's providing sound information where people can start to know what works for themselves. Yeah. My wife doesn't like fat, really. She's never eaten, you know, it would be like uh, the reverse Jack Spratt, me and her, you know, and, and she just doesn't eat that. <laughs> but I found with even her when I kind of started sneaking her keto dietary stuff you know it's not hunks of butter that the body's overwhelmed by it doesn't have to be i have found but i do think that there could be somebody where you just know right off the bat like i'm not going to be able to do that and then maybe it's not the right thing for them yeah that's what i really encourage people to do figure things out for themselves let me teach you how to do it Ultimately, I feel like people have to own it for themselves because doing something because someone told them to do, they read it in a book or, you know, they, they read it on a blog or heard it on a podcast, it only goes so far. But when people start getting feedback for themselves, then they own it. It's not a thing. It's not some just academic thing they've read. It, it's their life. It's they see the, the results in their life. Um, and that to me is really important because you're going to really produce sustainable results for them. Okay. I have another question and that is in your book, I did notice that you said high protein keto is possible. And just to give you Mm -hmm. some backstory, I went from five thirty something pounds down to, at one point I was racing bicycles and I went down to two twenty, and I was actually too thin at two twenty. And then gained weight again up to about 350 and now am, as of today, 265 and 14% body fat. But when I was about 315, I was lifting a lot of weights and really enjoying that and steadily losing weight. But I noticed that I was losing fat and muscle. And so I went like, I want to at least try to retain some of this muscle. Just I want to have abs. That was just my arbitrary goal. I do like to set goals when I get focused on a diet. If it's a number on a scale or a size or something musculature. And I was having trouble maintaining muscle mass as checked through like a DEXA scan on keto. And then when I saw in your book that high protein keto is possible, I was really excited to talk to you about that because... I did not think that that was true. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, by its very definition, broadly, the ketogenic diet is a high-fat, moderate-protein, low-carbohydrate diet. And the main reason for that is gluconeogenesis and the fact that if you're not having protein moderation, that could, in theory, decrease your amount of ketones being produced endogenously or throw you out of ketosis. Right. And there's other long-term, from a longevity standpoint, modulation of mTOR, like the pathway, basically, pro-cellular acceleration from a, like a decreased cancer longevity standpoint. There's other clinical reasons why someone would want to moderate protein in the long term. But my experience, and this is part of what's going on with the carnivore 
movement as well is that there isn't really specifics about macronutrients. They're just going carnivore. They're not specifically going keto carnivore, looking at their macros of fats versus proteins there. But I would say the majority of humans are going to be in ketosis, or at least producing some amounts of ketones and in a state of nutritional ketosis when from the carb restriction alone, right. meaning if they're having a high protein ketogenic diet, but restricting their carbs significantly, a la the carnivore diet, they're going to be producing ketones. Majority of people, the carb restriction is really what's going to be the driver and the determinant of producing ketones, not the protein moderation. But look, I mean, am I advocating that for everybody long term? No, I'm not. But I'm just saying if you're looking at ketones by itself, that is something that you consider. Right. So, it, but but it wouldn't be being done with boneless, skinless chicken breasts. It would be you would have to have more fat, or or could it be boneless, skinless chicken breasts and yeah, a bunch it, of omega three pills? Yeah, it could be the boneless chicken breast. It would you would probably just be miserable doing that, <laughs> right? Yeah, it doesn't <laughs> sound like fun. The energy you're, you're source not is having. Low. Yeah, if you're going to be just predominantly protein. Because, I mean, when I said in the book, ketotarian, high fat, high protein, low carb. Right. But, yeah, in theory, if you just had chicken breast and a little bit of fat, I still would think you would be in ketosis. And people can experiment this for themselves and see if it's true for their body or not. But it's not going to be enjoyable. That yeah. doesn't sound enjoyable at all. It doesn't. But, I mean, if the biohacker out there wants to try it, go for it. I think you probably still produce ketones. I'm considering trying. I'm on the path to abs right now, and I'm pretty damn close. So I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing. But I am, I'm really looking forward to not having to weigh every meal. I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to that. Oh, my goodness. I couldn't. You're a better man than I am. I, I don't have the the patience or the bandwidth to put up with that when it comes to food. I like to keep it simple. Well, Dr. Yeah. Cole, thank you so much. This has been incredibly informative and I really appreciate your time. Oh my goodness. I mean, it was a great conversation, man. Thanks so much for having me. Yeah. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for writing into AmericanGlutton.net. We're going to try our best to get to each and every one of your questions or comments. I'm going to take the time right now to answer one of these questions. This is from Tyler. Tyler says, I'm 39 and male, and your story is exactly what I'm going through right now. My life has been yo-yoing. Right now, I'm 290 and just getting on a weight loss regimen. Thank you for sharing your thoughts. For me, being successful in losing weight has been rhythm, or should I say developing a pattern for me to follow. The hard part for me is to get back in rhythm when my pattern gets disrupted. Thoughts. All right, Tyler. Well, I totally understand what you're saying that you can get into a pattern with weight loss and the disruption of that pattern can utterly throw you off from the path you're following. We have to consider life when we're deciding what diet to do. I mean, I think there are a few factors to take into consideration. Certainly what we're capable of doing is important. What our goals are is important. And then I forget who said this, but it was something about once you go into battle, all plans go out the window. And so that that I would consider like we have a plan for our diet and then we go into life and the plan is going to fall apart at some point. Planning is important and trying to imagine complications to the plan and disruptions to the plan would also be important. I think the first thing to think about with something like this is, you know, obviously what your goal is with health or weight loss or fitness to pick that and then to find a diet that can accommodate that would be the next step. And then 
diligent planning. I have found that when I would do in the past a cheat meal, it would utterly derail me and it was almost impossible to get back on the diet. And I I think that has something to do with entering in on some determined path and then transgressing against that path, which makes it very difficult to go back with determination on that path. So I've tried to adjust my ideas about what those transgressions would be and plan those out very specifically so that they're no longer quote unquote cheats. If I'm going to decide that I'm going to eat a certain way to accomplish some goal, I'm going to be very realistic with myself that that might not necessarily last forever. And I might have to take certain days where I eat differently. And on those days, I'm going to plan very specifically what I eat. If we think about, as Tyler said, a a rhythm or a pattern that we're following, you know, I could think of lots of things that would be disruptive to that. If you figure out a pattern for your work week that works and then you go off on the weekend and the weekend is a completely different routine and you're having trouble fitting your pattern from the work week into the weekend, you, you may just need a different pattern. But you have to consider that when you're taking on the problem of an eating plan that is abnormal from, you know, the typical no-thought eating plan of average America. I hope this answer wasn't too convoluted and that it was helpful. Continue writing in, and we will answer you whether it be via email or on the podcast. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always, joined by my chaperone, Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.